Welcome to Salt Lime Storytime, the podcast where we tell you stories worth telling over drinks. My name is Jess Nani, and I'm joined today by my clairvoyant co-host, Allison Hillman. <laughs> Interesting choice. I would like to see why that was chosen, if it was chosen for a reason. I'm sensing it might have been. It is. It's part of my story today. I was going to so. say, it's a hint. It's a hint, because this is a surprise episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Hi, Jess. Hi, Allison. Uh, Jess, I... I've heard that it's been quite a week for you. It has. Um, it has. Would you would you like to talk about any of that? Yeah. Yeah, I can talk about it. So we are recording this on a Thursday. Usually we record on a Tuesday. And that is because I had some pretty awful news work-wise this week. I'm still employed. So, you know, we're all good there. But uh, just like it's been a really rough week work-wise. And without going into it too heavily, I just, you know, I think that... Sometimes we as human beings forget that we spend 40 hours plus of our life per week spending time at the place that we work, you know, and Mm. um, it can feel a little bit unsexy to be like, "Uh, my job is like making me sad, (laughs) you know, because there are people that don't have jobs and blah, 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 whatever. And I am just, I am sadder than I've been in a really long time. I, it's been a really, really rough week. I'm not going to deny it. And Allison, thank you for letting us move the recording. Because if we recorded this on Tuesday, it would have been a significantly less fun podcast. What did we, we'll what did we do it... on Tuesday instead, Jess? You and I sat on the phone while we played Stardew Valley. And it was lovely. And everything that I needed to just distract myself from what was going on in the real world because my farm is doing really well on Stardew Valley. So is Allison's. I don't know if you guys know this. If any of you play Stardew Valley at home, Allison's farm on Stardew is professional level. It is. She has a million dollars plus two million maybe. Like, thank you. Doing so well. Children, but like incredible. Several affairs are going on on her on her farm. I did. I did get bored. Uh, Liz, here's the thing. I am maxed out on hearts for everybody. Mm-hmm. I've been married, have two kids, have been for years. I'm like at the point where there's not much left to do except yeah. for like a couple little things. And so I was like, I'm so bored and I don't want to start over. So I started having affairs with all the women in town and my mm-hmm. wife, Leah, God bless her, still hasn't found out about it, but it's making me really anxious and I've actually lost sleep over it because I feel so terrible, but I'm like, it's a game. There are just a bunch mm-hmm. of like codes and like, anyway, anyway. Yeah. but Anyway, so that's been that's been me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, In other news, on a more happy note, I found my Taylor Swift Eras tour outfit today, and I'm feeling very thrilled about it. I found it at a Savers. It was eleven dollars, and it is a full blown disco ball style bodycon dress. Nice. I am so sparkly. It fits me like it was made for me, and I found it thrifting, and that somehow feels good. And mm. that is my win for the day. And yeah. I've known a couple people who have had full-blown mental breakdowns about their Taylor Swift era tour outfits. It's been a it's been a conversation I've had with more than one person. Yes. I'll just put it at that. It is like prom. It feels like I've yeah. been thinking mm. about it for months and I got an outfit. I didn't like it as much as I thought I was going to. And it's cute. I'm going to wear it on The Bachelorette. It's going to be great. But I just, like, haven't been loving it for Taylor. And then today, thrifting, not even trying to find an outfit. 
and this dress appeared and it looks great. It's like literally made for my body. I'm so excited. So I will share pictures at some point but allison has a cowboy hat that's a cow print hat that's incredible what am i looking at right now sorry i just it's next to me because i i put it on every time i'm in my room Mm -hmm. we got it for my mom for her birthday also my mom celebrated her 69th birthday on thursday of last week and we celebrated on saturday and not to make it about me but i have been looking forward to this birthday since i was like 11 and found out what 69 was Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like it is going I, i i have been planning it for such a long time anyway so my brother and i shout out kyle we raided a party store got her all these balloons that say 69 everything we could candles sparklers that all had 69 on it and uh we found this cowboy hat that fit our big fat heads which means it fit my mom's head Mm -hmm. and we were like we're it's her birthday hat we're gonna have to we're gonna make her wear it all night and she did and anyway now i kind of can't take it off i love it since it's not her birthday anymore so i'm just been wearing it around I love it. It's a fantastic hat. I think you should bring it on The Bachelorette. I think I might. I love it. Well, happy birthday, Carrie. And I have known you long enough to know that this is something that we have talked about at least once a year, pretty much every time it's your mom's birthday leading up to this day. So 69. I I don't know. I I think the next one's going to be 96 then. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So incredible. Uh, real fast before we get started, Jess, you had an incident with a baby bird today, and I would love oh to hear God. how it turned out. Okay, so let me set the scene for you all. It is wild. I went to a team brunch this morning with my boss and one of my favorite coworkers. Their name is Alana. Shout out Alana. I think they're the only one of my coworkers that listens to this podcast occasionally. And I have been a little bit harebrained this week for obvious reasons. Kind of just been a rough mental health week. And I left my keys in Brendan's car and Brendan was in the office today. So I did not have my car keys. I couldn't drive anywhere. So I call Alana because they live pretty close to me. And I'm like, yo, Alana, if you've not left yet, can you come pick me up? And they're like, bet. I'll be there in like five minutes. And then they call me pretty shortly after that. And they're like, hey, you know how I said I'd be there in five minutes? There's a baby bird that just fell from the sky as I was leaving my house. And it's now on my front porch and I don't know what to do. (laughs) And they're like, I feel like you are the type of person that would know what to do. And I was like, okay, I did a lot of, I got my personal progress twice by the time I left Young Women's. I was a Girl Scouts of America. Okay. I feel like I know what to do. So I'm like, don't touch the fucking bird. Cause what if it's like mom gets mad that it smells like a human? And they're like, okay, cool. And they're like, I'm going to come pick you up and we're going to deal with this bird. Immediately after Alana and I hang up, I call Allison Hillman. (laughs) It's like, what? 10.05 10.05 a.m. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> and Allison picks up and is like, hello? <laughs> yeah, it was, I was like, this is either an emergency or something really funny. Like, I don't, I've kind- never gotten a call from you at 10 in the morning. No, never. And it was kind of both, if we're being really honest. Fair, fair. And I say to you, <laughs> I don't even, I don't think I even say hello. I think I say, I have the craziest Yes. Like situation going on. And I feel like you will know what to do better than anyone else in my life. I proceed to tell Allison about this baby bird situation. And Allison is like, indeed, I do know what to do. Go get latex gloves. If you absolutely have to move the bird, see if you can find the nest. And if you can put it back in the nest, great. If not, you know, put it close. I mean, at least that's what I know about it. It's like, 
the mother bird can reject it if it mm-hmm. smells human. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that's actually what you're supposed to do, but that's what I was thinking of. That What I would do is, like, put on, like, any kind of glove to yes. try to, like, get the scent away. I don't know. Completely agree. That was my mentality. I fully believed you. And also I loved that when I asked, your very first question was, what kind of bird is it? <laughs> As I don't know if I'm, that would have changed, but as if I'm a birder that knows what kind of. But I came. I was like, it looks kind of like a sparrow of some sort, and I stand by that. It looks kind of like a sparrow. It did. Anyway, Alana rolls up, and again, additional additional context. Alana owns a electric blue Fiat. <laughs> okay, two seater. It's great. Alana beep bops me over to their house. The baby bird is a lot older than I thought it was. It had full feathers. It looked like it was ready to start flying any day. And we are trying to locate this nest and like herd the bird into the corner of the porch so it doesn't get either A, attacked or B, stepped on by accident. And it's just making a whole bunch of racket. And Alana's like, I'm going to make a sign because this bird seems like it's going to be okay. We don't know where the nest is. I'm going to make a sign that's basically like, hey, there's a baby bird on the porch watch your step basically so alana goes inside and while they are inside i am like looking up at the trees to see if i can see where this nest is see if i have any idea and suddenly a full-grown bird pops its head out of the little eaves of alana's apartment and like makes a beady little eye contact with me and flies down to the to a balcony that was like pretty close to where i was standing with the baby bird and just starts yelling at me this bird is the bird equivalent of cussing me out. And nice. I'm like, cause I'm like trying to guard the baby bird. So that way any of like her neighbors coming in and out, don't get near it. And the mama bird was not having it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to step several paces away. I like gesture broadly to where the baby bird is. <laughs> and I go hide behind a tree and that mama bird did not stop yelling at me and staring at me with her beady little bird eyes until Alana came back out, put the sign on the door, and we I sent a diagram of where the mama bird was to Allison. <laughs> and Alana and I left. And to the best of my knowledge, the baby bird is okay. We are hoping that the mama bird did its mama bird duty. Like I said, the baby bird was pretty well developed. It had its like coat, like it had like full feathers and stuff. So I'm I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic in the situation that Mother Nature was kind. So anyway, that is the baby bird update. My final point of business that is not podcast related is this. Allison, have you been keeping up with the fucking submarine? What? What? Do you know about the submarine going to the Titanic? Oh shit, I've heard I've seen a lot of stuff about submarines on. I was like, what the fuck's up with all this submarine shit? Okay. Okay. No. Oh. Do I have the ladies and gentlemen listening at home? Do I I am giddy with the opportunity that I have just been handed. I thought about just doing the story blatantly for the podcast this week because it was so fascinating. Allison, to make a long story short, now that I've just monologued for five minutes about this fucking bird, there is a group of five people that are all very rich, that have decided to take a ill-advised submarine trip to the bottom of the ocean to go see the Titanic. They have not been heard from in five days. They ran out of oxygen officially at 7 a.m. this morning. A massive search and rescue has happened, and we got word today that the submarine imploded once uh, probably four and a half days ago. 
it's the Titanic truly said, do not come in these waters. And basically, quite literally, I watched a TikTok of a physicist Sorry, explaining this to me. It's just how you, how you worded that. That's why I'm laughing. Not because they died. Don't come in these waters. That's what she said. Anyway, please. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. It gets wilder, Allison. One of the people on board is related to the old people that like were in first class that died holding each other that are king princess's great great grandparents don't know if you're familiar with that story but king princess's great great grandpa died on the titanic with his lover in first class it's a whole thing anyway one of their rich descendants went to go visit the titanic and literally a physicist on tiktok explained it literally got melted in 30 milliseconds in this implosion because basically the way that it works when a submarine implodes at like that level like depth in the ocean the depressurization heats the air up to like the same temperature as the surface of the sun and you melt but great news frankly because it takes the human brain about 150 milliseconds to feel pain and this happened in 30 milliseconds so instead of suffocating to death in a submarine at the bottom of the ocean for five days with five other people they just died instantly, so that's that's nice. And one of the billionaires on the planet is now dead, so that's kind of a lot to deal with politically and socially. And yeah. I have so much I want to say. Oh, and then I have one other fact for you about this group. They are all barefoot because you can't wear shoes on a submarine for whatever reason. Why does that make it worse? I don't know, but it is the... Aside from obviously, I, I don't want to make light. People died. But... They also signed a bunch of waivers saying they knew that they could die. There was some informed consent happening here. But also, like, egregious malpractice of submarine practices. Anyway. Okay, I have a couple things to say. One, before we got on, I was reading about what happened when submarine, like, implodes. And, like, I was reading specifically about how they died. But I was like, is this about a story that happened, like, in World War II or something? I had no idea it was... Okay, okay, okay. And then number two... Why the fuck would you take a submarine to the most cursed part of the ocean? The ocean does not want you there, okay? The orcas are tipping yachts over. Submarines are exploding. The ocean has had enough of our bullshit. Get out of it. This is why I splash in the shallows. I am not out there trying to fucking swim to the bottom of, like, Mariana's Trench or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Like, we are made to splash in mm-hmm. the shallows mm-hmm. stay in like a little cove kayak maybe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. submarines are one of the most unnatural badass i'll give them that but one of the most unnatural like weird cool things of all time mm-hmm. they're like a plane but underwater wow what a big fact you just thought of there allison but i i cannot believe like of course they fucking died Yes. Also, like, can how deep can obviously they would have known like how deep that submarine could have gone, but there's like how deep is the Titanic? Like two and a half miles? Yeah. How much water pressure is that? So much. So much water Has pressure. Has a human submarine gone down there before? Kind of. Because they've had like little tiny, but then they've sent like cameras. So basically, or... yeah. So this is the other thing is they didn't even go to see the Titanic itself. They went down far enough that they could send a little robot out to see it. So like they're not even seeing the Titanic themselves through a window. They're seeing it through a robot screen, which you can do on the surface. 
that's how they found the debris to prove that the submarine exploded. They sent a little robot down there to check. Anyway. Jess, question. Would you rather go to the bottom of the ocean in a submarine or to outer space? I actually, this is the second time I've been asked this question today, and I have decided that I think outer space only because, only because, I think that space is more regulated than the ocean. Well, we know more about space than the ocean. So I feel like, I feel like if I get sent, more people have been to space than have been down to see the Titanic. So I feel like my odds are better You know, like I could go to the atmosphere. I'd probably throw up and cry the whole time, (laughs) but it's also like faster, I feel like, than like a submarine. I don't know. I just, I can't. People live in space. People don't live in submarines at the bottom of the ocean by the fucking Titanic. You know what I mean? Unless you're the Beatles and you live in a yellow one, but I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh... All right. Are we ready to get into our stories this week? <laughs> yeah, but Jess, that is crazy. And thank you for adding context to all this weird submarine content I've been seeing and being like, welcome. what is going on? Why are why am I on like the submarine algorithm? This doesn't make yes. any sense. I, this is so up my alley. I can't believe I didn't hear I this. I am shocked. I am giddy that I got to be the person that told you. Like, giddy. And again, I... It's hard because, you know, we make jokes about billionaires dying all the time, but also these people, you know, had families and things, and it's sad. There was a 19-year-old on board that was there with his dad, and that's really sad. And I mean, yeah. Human loss of human life is sad, but it's also hard because it was such a stupid decision to make, you know? Yeah. But then you got, like, Jeff Bezos sending himself to space. But honestly... What, one, of the people gives... that, one of the people that died on the submarine went to space with Jeff Bezos. Oh, I thought you were going to say was Jeff Bezos no. and I almost like lost my it mind. It goes okay. all the way to the top. <laughs> quite literally. Quite literally. Honestly, the thought of like looking out a window in a submarine gives me more anxiety than looking out a window in space. I don't know. The yes. endless blackness of knowing that I'm surrounded by ocean and like giant squid and like mm-hmm. supposedly extinct massive sharks like – my mind, I mean, oh my god, like, the ocean, ocean I've always ghosts. had a fear. Ocean ghosts. Ocean also, ghosts. a more haunted place in the entire ocean does not exist, save maybe the Bermuda Triangle. And they, I haven't, okay, anyway, we can stop talking about this, but thank you for telling me that. I feel like that's going to be something I deep dive down um, when I'm supposed to be trying to sleep at 1 a.m. I hope that you learn lots the barefoot fact is really just a lot but there there are some tidbits that i haven't told you that i hope you discover on your own involving a blink 182 concert that is there's just you're gonna have a great time so they recovered all the bodies no the bodies melted they don't exist anymore like quite literally they found a debris field of like scrap metal basically that they know is from the submarine (sighs) but like the bodies basically got vaporized from my understanding of this one tiktok physicist hate 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 but i mean in my opinion i feel like that's the like it's a really morbid thing to say but that's the better way to die than like sitting in a 20 degree submarine with 96 hours of oxygen to share between five people like this you know like knowing you're going to die you know like at least this way they didn't know it was happening like or being on the titanic way worse yeah Exactly. So you're right. So. You're right. Anyway, anyway. Anyway. Okay. Well, Allison, it's the final episode of our season two. How do we feel? Two seasons in. I mean, 
it's crazy i can't believe we've been doing it for so long yeah this this last week was our 30th 321 shots and i believe this will be our 35th long episode i'm pretty sure i'd have to go look at the numbers again it'll be either be 34 or 35 Mm. we've done we've 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 really put in the work here yeah we have and it's been so much fun the little Mm -hmm. break is definitely going to be much needed yes but we are taking a well-deserved summer break, but we'll be back in fall for our third season. We're going to have a little bit of a fun switch up, which we will tell you about at that time. But um, be sure to give our Instagram at Salt Lime Storytime Pod. Uh, be sure to give us a follow to stay up to date on when our next episodes will be airing. And we'll, we'll share some of our summer shenanigans with you guys while we're on break and if we get bored enough, we'll drop a bonus episode. So, mm-hmm. And also merch will be dropping yeah hopefully (laughs) cool within the next couple months hopefully maybe even this next week now that i have time (laughs) dead ass cool so keep your eyes on that for sure but big things are coming and Mm -hmm. i already can't wait to get back to it Mm -hmm. so i am really excited to get married and then not have a wedding to think about and then get back to it (laughs) fair fair enough yeah Okay, Alice and I decided to do whatever we wanted for the finale episode, just anything that we were feeling, aka a surprise episode. And uh, Allison, I have a short and sweet one for you today, and I'm going to be curious to hear if you've heard of the story. It involves several things that you enjoy, and I thought it was really interesting to write about, so I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Yes. What are you drinking? Just some. Vino. I was gonna say before we start. Um, I am drinking a tall glass of wine, which is almost gone. What are you drinking? I am drinking a vodka cranberry with some soda water added in. Um, so far it's really good. It's one of the pre-made ones that I got from the liquor store, and by I got, I mean somebody left at my house over Pride, and now I'm drinking it. And got it. It's pretty great so far. So amazing. <sighs> okay. I'm going to just preface this by saying there are a lot of people in this story that have Philippian uh, we're already off to a great start. (laughs) There are a lot of people in the stories from the Philippines that have names that I have done my best to pronounce correctly and um, we'll just start with that disclaimer. All right. This just and just can't speak Philip Tagalog. Philippine Tagalog. I think is how you say it. Anyway. Philip, see what is the plural? <laughs> I wanted to say like Filipinas, but I was like, I, I Filipino know. people are Filipino. That's the go. one I know, that's but they're Filipino. Is that okay. that can't be the language? No, the language is Tagalog. Okay, Tagalog. Got it. Tagalog. So this just in just can't speak Tagalog. No, I can't, but I'm I I do my best. All right. <clears throat> Teresita Bassa was brutally murdered in 1977. Her murder would remain unsolved until Teresita herself took matters into her own hands beyond the grave. Today I'll be telling you her ghost's miraculous story and how it led to the capture of their murder. I think I've heard about this and it is fascinating. Yes. Oh my god. Also, I remember the name Teresita Bassa because I was like, that is Mm -hmm. the best name. And also, she got hers in the afterlife. Like she She did. She did. And we are going to get into it. I did not know the story. 
And if you know facts that I don't know, please feel free to chime in. But my sources are a Washington Post article from 1978 that was a court transcript of the hearing of the trial, an All Things Interesting article running through the story, a Paranorms article running through the story, an Unsolved Mysteries episode, a Mamma Mia blog. I don't really, it's like a news thing. Here we go again. (laughs) It's a news. It's a news thing from Australia, uh, or a podcast of some sort. Anyway, um, and then a wickedness.net article um, on Alan Showery, and uh, yeah. All right, Allison. I'm so excited. Teresita was born in 1929 in the Philippines to wealthy parents. She graduated from Assumption College in Manila, and in her early 30s, she came to the United States in hope of seeking more education for herself. She loved music, and in 1977 had started a PhD program in musical studies at La Loya University. Her neighbor's children loved her because she gave out free piano lessons in her free time on the weekends. Hmm. When she wasn't studying or teaching, she worked at Edgewater Hospital as a respiratory therapist. Edgewater was located in Chicago, in a Chicago suburb, and coincidentally was the birthplace of John Wayne Gacy, the infamous serial killer. Wow. Yeah. Kind of, kind of interesting. Edgewater is now closed. So, you know, good for them. Wait, the the hospital or? The hospital is now closed, but. Right. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Anyway. At around 10 p.m. on February 21st, 1977, nearly a decade after making our home in the United States, the fire department was urgently called to Teresita's home after her neighbors, Merid and Catherine Nance, smelled smoke coming from her home. Once inside, firefighters on the scene discovered a truly brutal scene. Teresita's body had been placed under her mattress with a large butcher knife protruding from her chest. Her killer had lit the mattress on fire, burning any useful evidence in the process. Only a mere hour before Teresita was found, her close friend, Ruth Loeb, had spent a full 30 minutes on the phone with her. Ruth said nothing had seemed amiss with her friend other than she had mentioned that she was expecting a friend to come over that afternoon, but hadn't named who the friend was. Investigator Joseph Statula was baffled. The apartment was on the 15th floor of their building, and there was little evidence and Teresita had no known enemies or even people she disagreed with. She was unassuming and considered the last person something like this would ever happen to. Mm. The only evidence the police found was a note in her planner with a reminder that said, quote, get tickets for A.S. No one had any clue who A.S. was, and several pieces of her jewelry were also missing. After months and months of interviewing friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers, the police were nowhere closer to finding who had murdered Teresita, which it's the seventies and police work. Are we really that surprised? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No. Mm -mm. Anyway, thank God for Mormons and their ancestry.com bullshit. Am I right? I know we really, the Mormons really said, Hey, family history. Also DNA testing. Interesting. Also the grid system and city layout. The grid system is, here's the thing. Other people had thought of the grid system prior to this, but what the Mormons did is they were like, I want to be able to flip a bitch in a full wagon with four horses. (laughs) And they... (laughs) I want to put that on a t-shirt, Allison. (laughs) Uh, That is absolutely going on merch. Thank you for that, Jess. 
And they did. So now I can flip a bitch anywhere I want. In Big Utah. fat Yui, no matter where you're at. Me, no, it's so me true. And, me and Willis, who is the equivalent of a wagon and four horses. <laughs> so fucking true. Oh, God, anytime I want. Anyway. <laughs> so after months of interviewing friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers, the police were nowhere closer to finding who had murdered Teresita. That is, until Teresita's co-worker, Dr. Jose C. Schwa Jr., came forward with a nearly unbelievable story. Dr. Shua and his wife, Remy Bias, who goes by Remy, were both Filipino and had been friendly with Teresita as a fellow immigrant. However, in the months after her death, Remy was plagued with visions of Teresita and her murder. Dr. Shua told the police that he came home to his wife in one of these trances and described their interaction, saying his wife spoke as if possessed by Teresita, saying, quote, Doctor, I would like to ask for your help. The man who murdered me is still at large. Dr. Shua would go on to say, quote, I was really surprised and scared when I asked her name and she answered, Ekoyi, I am Teresita Bassa. But she told me I had nothing to be scared of. She was really pleading for me to help solve her murder. End quote. Remy, who spoke only in Spanish accented Tagalog while in these trances similar to Teresita, repeatedly pointed to Alan Showery, a fellow respiratory therapist at Edgewater, as the killer. A.S. Mm-hmm. These trances happened three times, according to Dr. Shua, and after they ended, Remy remembered nothing of the incidents. Ooh! More Ooh. wild. Remy had never actually met Alan despite working in the same building as him and would have had no reason to interact with him beyond this. Remy also claimed in her trances that jewelry had been stolen from Teresita the night of the murder, a fact that was not reported publicly. (gasps) Fuck! (laughs) Oh my god, I forgot how good this story is. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, oh my god. I told you, it's a shorty but a goodie. Ugh, Okay. The police, with nothing better to go off at that point, began heavily investigating Alan. Alan was 32 at the time of the murder. He'd worked with Teresita and didn't seem to have any motive to kill her. However, shortly after Remy's accusations, police found Alan's girlfriend out with a jewelry she'd been gifted from him as a late Christmas present in February. Mm. Mm-hmm. The jewelry was an exact match to the missing pieces from Teresita's apartment. On August 11th, 1977, Alan was arrested to wait trial for the murder of Teresita Bassa. Anyway, I'm about to tell you about the most reasonable but absolutely comical hearing there's ever been publicly recorded. <laughs> okay, but first of all, that girlfriend, how does how sick would you feel? Not only knowing that like your boyfriend oh. murdered somebody, but wearing her jewelry. Wearing I the wonder jewelry. If I wonder if she like the girlfriend had any weird vibes or experienced any like nightmares or anything while like wearing those like if yeah i don't know like that that just is such bad juju yeah there are some theories we're gonna get into at the end of this but can't wait (laughs) at his hearing alan's public defender william swano did his best to discredit the charges Swano argued that remy had faked the trances and the police were just looking for any way to close this case 
quote, never to my knowledge has a man been arrested because of a supernatural vision. Police have never before been informed of a criminal's name by a voice from the grave, end quote. And this trial, as he goes through the justice system and all of this, is referred to as the voice from the grave trial because of this quote. The police came ready with the receipts. Investigator Joseph Statula recalled on the stand that when they went to arrest Allen, he came willingly and seemed resigned to the fact that he'd been caught. Prosecutor Thomas J. Oregon said, quote, I'm sure none of us has ever heard a story as bizarre as this, but police could not ignore it. Which there are a lot of j- jokes I could make here about police ignoring things that are right in front of their face. But um, <laughs> yeah. I'll refrain. Mm, yeah. Also, Allison, there are just some like really fucking funny quotes from this trial that like I'm just going to read to you. So please. Yes, enjoy. please. Please, please, please. Judge Frank W. Barbaro, when asked to dismiss the case on the basis that they had no real evidence, said, quote, I see no reason to restrict the investigatory power of the police, whether they believe the voices or not. They had to check it out. (laughs) End quote. (laughs) Like, come on, man. They had a fucking creepy voice. What were they supposed to do? Ignore it? (laughs) Mm -hmm. When a ghost says, look at this, you look at this. Yeah. A spokesperson for the court told the Washington Post at the time, quote, it's not like we're going to cross-examine the voice or anything of that nature. We're really not interested (laughs) in the supernatural aspect of this trial. The voice was an initial tip, but the evidence was developed independently, end quote. Which, honestly, they were like, the voice is neither here nor there. We did stuff after that. Come on, guys. (laughs) Yeah, they just put homegirl, like the one that, like basically spoke like for her in her sleep they just Mm -hmm. give her like a ton of ambien and just prop her up on stage with a microphone in front of her face and like okay just start talking basically what's crazy is that they actually never let her testify because she claimed she couldn't remember after the fact that's so crazy and i i don't know if you'll get into this i'm pretty sure there were like a couple instances where the her husband was like she would speak and her husband would it was just like, oh, that's so weird. Like, I'm going to discount it. And, like, there it happened three yes. times where he just counted it two times. Yes. And the third time, Teresita was like, you motherfucker. Yes. Look at me. Listen to me. This is who I am and this is what's mm-hmm. going on. And that's when he actually started to believe it. Yes. That's exactly what happened. So... In Allen's formal trial on October 2nd, 1978, the jewelry evidence was formally brought forward as well as, an, as additional damning evidence. Coworkers close to Showery told police that he had gone to Teresita's that night to fix her television. Showery confirmed this fact and claimed he hadn't had the right tools, so he left. However, his girlfriend told police he'd gone back to Teresita's after coming home with a plot to rob her. Apparently, Showery had been dealing with financial issues and Teresita had been trying to help him out by giving him odd jobs to do around the house for extra cash. I will note here that Showery initially claimed the police coerced him into confessing by threatening to arrest his pregnant girlfriend. There is no evidence of this, but that is what he claimed to his public defender and that is the basis that his public defender fought him on. I'm going to get into theories at the end, but... I think it's interesting to note here that he claims he didn't do it. His girlfriend has potential to be arrested if he doesn't. And then he is like, okay, but I did go back. And his girlfriend like, yeah, he did. I can corroborate that. So some interesting, some interesting tidbits with the eyes we have now regarding police brutality. But anyway, 
we'll get into that mm. was alan white alan was black alan is a black man okay which i think is important to know and i forgot to note it earlier my bad but yes oh, alan alan was a black man and uh anyway with the physical and metaphysical evidence if you will mounted against mm-hmm. him alan finally confessed According to him, after he returned, Teresita let him back into her apartment only for him to commit his heinous crime. It reads to me as a robbery gone desperately wrong. It's also important to note that there was no sign of sexual assault, despite the fact that Teresita was found naked and Alan claimed that he only took her clothes off to hide evidence. So, yeah, you know. or it was like a red herring. Yeah, basically. After an initial mistrial, Alan finally pled guilty on February 23rd, 1979, just barely two years after Teresita's murder. He was sentenced to 14 years in prison, but was let out on parole only four years later in 1983. I couldn't find anything after his release regarding his whereabouts. Several articles cited that he may have changed his name and fled Chicago to start his life over. So that is the base story. As you can imagine, Allison, there are several theories as to what actually happened. These theories include Showery actually did it and Teresita did actually possess her friend and Remy was a medium basically providing her body in the in Teresita's favor. Okay. So that's, that's the like, team I'm on. That's team A. I'm on team A. Team A. Team B. Remy and her husband did it and used Showery to cover up their crime. They all worked together. And they could have had cause that we don't know. That's the thing that's really hard about this case is like Teresita was a lovely human and everybody that talked about her was like, I don't know why anybody would do this to her. She was like not in anybody's way. She's not like hurting anybody. She's just a little piano teacher, works at a hospital on the side, like whatever. And these guys were all like from the same area and like seemed like they were okay friends. But that's one of the theories. Another theory is that the case is still technically unsolved and police use Showery and Remy's possession claims to basically get a case off their load because at the time police weren't solving crimes very well and there was a bunch of serial killers going on and like it was kind of a it's a very brutal crime and in order to make the community feel safe they basically trumped up these charges and there's theory that that's why Shaori got out so fast is basically like the police were like, let's let this guy off easy. So that way we can just get this done with. And the claims that Shaori made about being basically forced into confessing lead maybe to this concept that it wasn't him. He was just in the wrong place at the wrong time and that he did rob her, but not in the way that was claimed. And that this case is still technically unsolved. So that is an interesting, interesting thing. My favorite theory, and this is what I am sticking with, is that Remy and her husband figured out it was Alan themselves and didn't know how to tell the police without basically the theory is that they either found out through illegal by through illegal activity and or that they found out through somebody that they worked with that didn't want to come forward. And so they faked the possessions to save themselves from revealing their source and to basically like keep eyes away from them too closely because like it's so wild it's like kind of a red herring well then why wouldn't she have remembered the 
you know because it's easier dreams. to pretend it's easier to pretend that she doesn't remember but like that way she'd be able to like testify i don't know i don't know that's just one of the theories that i read Interesting. i got on the reddit thread for this episode oh. of unsolved mysteries yeah you did and people people because like as i was reading these various articles and i read like the court transcript right that was in the washington post it felt very much like alan was being forced into something and i don't know he he might have absolutely done it and like if he did he deserved the jail time he got and probably more than he actually spent because like it's a very brutal murder but also like if he was forced into it you know the fact that he stole the jewelry and he for sure stole the jewelry just doesn't but if he was doing odd jobs for her regularly for cash he could have stolen the jewelry prior to that but remy couldn't have known about the jewelry unless maybe she was involved so she was involved or she like got hold of the police file somehow the pos- or the possession's real I will say Showery had previously been convicted of sexual assault and armed robbery. So he did have a prior history, but he didn't sexually assault Teresita. So anyway, those are the theories. I think it sounds like you were team A, that the possession was real. Showery did it. I kind of like the idea that Remy and her husband figured it out and then were like, how do we tell this and like keeping as much attention off of us? Let's fake Hmm. a possession story. I think that's wildly insane so i kind of that theory is my i i want to say that both of those are i like i like that last one too mm-hmm. either way like mm-hmm. i i want to know that this guy actually did it just because there's such a massive amount of people in prison for crimes they didn't commit and it would yeah. be so shitty if he was one of them especially men of yeah. color mm-hmm. but the jewelry thing like that just seems and like the, the history of violence there. yeah and like the fact in her diary it said the as thing yeah okay it gets wilder allison i don't know if they cover this oh, yeah. on the episode so this is a little side this is a little sidebar. I only found this in one article, but I'm gonna tell it to you because I think it's really interesting. So shortly after Teresita's body was found and they obviously did the autopsy, crime scene investigation, whatever, Teresita's family came from the Philippines and took her body back to her hometown in Manila. They still have their mansion there so like they have like they're like very wealthy citizens there and they have like a mansion on a pretty prominent road and they claimed that they buried Teresita's body in a cemetery near their home and people have tried to go visit it like people have tried to go find it the cemetery where they said they buried her does not exist Allison what it doesn't exist and it well, never has. Okay. To play devil's advocate, maybe they said that because they knew that like people would try to go yeah. find it. And they were like, we're actually going to bury her at her favorite tree in the mountains and just not mm-hmm. let anybody know. I think that you're probably right, but that's way less interesting than the cemetery just not existing. No, that is super. Imagine being the person that discovered that. Yes. Like, that yes. is wild isn't that crazy anyway so there's people that her her aunt and her younger cousins still live in the house that she grew up in and it's on this like prominent high street in the neighborhood she grew up in in the philippines and like i said the cemetery that her body was supposedly buried in does not exist 
kind of just an interesting thing. Weird. The theory I saw is that she might be buried on their land illegally. Mm. But, yeah. So. That all around, it's all. an insane story. It's just that wild. has closure, but it doesn't. Yes. It's like, okay, they did find the guy, but then you find out that the guy claimed that he was coerced into his confession. And you're like, okay, did this guy actually do it? And, like, the fact that he was basically, like, never heard from again. Like, the other thing is the Crime Junkies podcast did this story uh, a couple of years ago. And, like, they're, like, a pretty good podcast. They do, like, pretty good research, right? They had one of their researchers try to find him. And there is no record of him past 2004, including death records. So the theory is he's be about 70-ish now. The theory is that he is still alive. They like nobody just nobody knows where he is, and like they he didn't change commit. his name. Yeah, he didn't commit any crimes after he got out of prison. Like he just sort sort of disappeared. And like his girlfriend at the time was pregnant and like had a kid, but there's like no evidence that he was like ever with the kid. Like anyway, does the girlfriend know anything? It I didn't see anything that said she did dude god like it it's such a satisfying and unsatisfying case at the same Mm -hmm. time like i i want so badly to believe that somebody came from beyond the grave yeah and helped somebody solve their murder which i think had there are also other stories of that happening i think this is the most well-known one well and like the other thing too where like remy would spoke in these tranches she spoke only in tagalog in a Spanish accent, which Teresita had, Remy did not have that accent. But Remy was Filipino. Yes. So Remy okay. could speak Tagalog, but didn't have a Spanish accent when she did it. So, like... Right. So that's a very... Uh, do, do you think they spoke Tagalog to each other? No clue. That I could not find evidence Because of. if they didn't... But they didn't, both in America an- for, like, 20-ish years at that point. Mm-hmm. And, like, worked in a hospital and, like... You know, both of them were, like, educated in America. So, like, they spoke, to the best of my knowledge, spoke excellent English. So, like, I don't know. It's interesting. That is, I would, that's so bizarre because that's such a specific, like, she either, like, knocked it out of the fucking park with this mm-hmm. or, yeah, it's, I don't know. Either way, also, I hope that this guy did it and. Her husband was the one that reported it. So, she could have just true. not done any of it. This is true. And, I don't, it's, 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 it remains to be seen. It remains to be seen. But all this to say, to wrap this up, with my, with all true crime cases, like, it's, it's easy to speculate, easy to sit there, but Teresita loved music, and she was a member of her neighborhood community that provided musical enjoyment to the children in her life, and was a teacher, and it sounds like a very good neighbor and friend, and at the end of the day, whether this was a robbery gone wrong or it's unsolved and somebody murdered her out of spite or whatever it is, it's just really sad all the way around. And I hope for her sake that this guy did it and there's closure there. But kind of badass if she came back from the grave and was like, fuck you all, you're not solving it right. I'm going to yeah, solve it for you. That is so gnarly. I I love this story because like you said, there's so many different possibilities, mm-hmm. and I don't know. It's crazy. Thank you for thank you for that, Jess. Thank you for listening. Like I said, a quick one, but an interesting one. I love some conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's been a minute since I've done some true crime, and I know it's not my usual thing, but Jess, if I die unexpectedly, you will be 
getting visits in your dreams. Great. Can't fucking wait. Brendan will not be able to sleep because you will be speaking in tongues. Allison's pissed again. <laughs> we need to... <laughs> your eyes are just rolled into the back of your head. <laughs> we need to go dust her grave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, we need to get four soft pinto bean burritos from Taco Time and just bury them with her. We need to do that today. <laughs> I would make your guys' lives hell, but it was it's out of love mostly. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> okay, Jesticles. Okay, Alisticles. Oh, this just doesn't work as well. Sorry about it. Oh, let me try that again. Okay, ass Holman. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> oh shit! Good one. I actually haven't heard that one before. <laughs> All right. Jess, I am noted. so proud of you. That was amazing. <laughs> How did you know my Christian name? I don't know. God came to me in a vision. Assholeman. Jess, I have a I I'm so excited to tell you this story. It is I have been getting texts from you about how excited you are with vague screenshots and things blurred out and just very funny single sentences from your story. So I am excited. We'll be getting to that sentence shortly. So this is a story I don't think a single person in the world wouldn't be interested in this. I truly, it has everything everybody loves. Okay. So my sources for this... There, I watched three different YouTube videos. By one was by Watcher, one was by Biographics, and the other was by Extra History. And there were a couple articles I got from. One was AncientOrigins.net, ExploreTheArchives.com, AllThat'sInteresting.com, HistoryHit.com, and Atlas Obscura. Those are my sources. All right, we're going. We're going to the the ancient times. <laughs> you could say that. So as you know, Jess, this is our season finale. It is. So naturally, I have been obsessing over what story I was going to tell for days because I just, it had to be perfect. Like, I wanted something that checked all the boxes. I'm talking funny, empowering, interesting, exciting. Well, I am happy to report that I found the perfect one. Okay. An unforgettable tale forgotten by many. Today, dear listener, I'm going to tell you a story of rags to riches, undermined to feared, sex worker to ruler of the seas. I am going to tell you the incredible true story of Ching Shi the Pirate Queen. Hot. (laughs) Thank God. Pirate Queen. Look me in the fucking eyes and tell me that there's a single person on the planet that is not interested in the phrase pirate queen. I you I can't look you in the eyes and say that. How did you did you already know about the pirate queen or did this come after some research of what to do for your story? Uh, it came after some research. I was I just looked up an article that was like incredible true stories that people don't really know. Yeah. And this was the very last one. And when I tell you, I was like clicking clicking. I had some good ideas. I wrote them down for maybe a you know future episode. When I clicked to this next story and I read Ching Shi, the Pirate Queen, like, the corner of my mouth turned up and I, like, felt something in me stir. Like, my soul fluttered. Like, it, I, I just knew. It was very, 
spiritual experience, I would say. Yes, ma'am. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, also, Jess, I'm not saying that this is you if you entered a villain era, but I'm also not not saying that. Yes. Okay, I'm okay. I'm even more ready now. Okay. <clears throat> I don't know what you were doing in the early 1800s, but I, for one, was not making China my bitch. (laughs) You, for one, were not making China your bitch. Really good to know. Yeah, that's the single sentence that Jess got out of context because I could not stop laughing at what I wrote. (laughs) Anyway. But you know who was making China her bitch? Ching Shi, the most (laughs) feared pirate in history, of course. Little is known of Ching Shi's early years, but she was estimated to be born in 1775 in a poverty-stricken village in southeast China. When she hit puberty, Ching Shi was forced into sex work to help support her family. She worked primarily on a floating brothel, do you know, which also has another name. Do you know what that name is? Fun little trivia game? No, I don't. It's called a flower boat. Oh, interesting. Which... I hired for the um, bachelorette party, by the way. Oh, thank God. Yeah, so you can be expecting that. (laughs) All right. So she worked on a floating brothel. So Ching Shi was beautiful, smart, charming, and witty, all of which made her a popular choice among customers. She was visited by royal courtiers, military commanders, and wealthy merchants. But most notably... She was visited by the notorious pirate Chang Yi in 1801. And I must say, 26-year-old Ching Shi really shivered his timbers because he asked for her hand in marriage. Oh my god. How exactly he went about doing this is debatable, although I think I know the answer. One source said that he simply just asked her, which, okay... Another one said that he courted her for weeks, and then he asked her. And another one said that he threw a bag over her head, abducted her, and brought her to his ship so he could have her all to himself. And Hmm. I don't know why. Maybe it's, like, the pirate Hmm. thing, but I'm a bit more compelled to believe the latter. Hmm. I wonder why. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just don't see a pirate consensually courting a woman. You know, I feel like early 19th century you know there's a lot of things that that are that's famed for but america just got started you know like Mm -hmm. i I feel like there's just like a lot of like pillaging and plundering of general resources and truly sounds like this would be a similar situation yes either way she ended up on his ship and he was like fucking marry me And, you know, she was like, and this much is known. This is a fact. Ching Shi agreed to marry him, but only if he granted her 50% of his earnings and partial control of his entire fleet. It's giving cunt and I love it. (laughs) And he agreed. And so it began. And so this is part of what reminds me of villain pirate Jess is like she was so strategic and smart about everything, like a true businesswoman about pirating. Villain pirate Jess is my drag name. <laughs> like it's too it's too bad she didn't have Excel. Like who knows what she would have done with Excel. Who knows? Okay. I'm obsessed with this bitch. Keep going. <laughs> okay. 
So they were a very successful pirate power couple. Mm-hmm. Together, they sailed the South China Sea, Chang Yi commanding the fleet, and Qing Shi organizing raids and recruiting pirate gangs to join them. And I'm talking hundreds of pirate gangs. And this is when she did the most just thing of all. So, Jess, I am now opening the floor, and I'm going to ask you to put yourself in her leather bootstraps for just a second. And I want you to think how you would keep track and organize all of these pirates, all these fleets, all these ships. You don't have Excel. What do you do? Well, I'd probably give them all numbers. And... I don't know. What did she do? I, I, I'm, I'm lost without my Excel. She literally color-coded them. Oh, I love this bitch. You oh. were off by just a little bit. Oh. I, she, color-coded. I'd probably number the crew and color-code the boats. <laughs> I know. You're fucking insane. <laughs> I fucking love it. Oh, tell me that she tell me that she like gave them all colorful flags oh i love her so much yes she did so she did let's keep going so she color-coded them to be able to organize everything yeah okay so dead ass there was the red fleet which was the biggest one that's the one her and her husband commanded as well mm-hmm. as the smaller fleets which were black green yellow white and blue commanded mm-hmm. by different lieutenants and then i wrote we love a pirated pride flag. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I think I've changed who I want to sleep with when I go to heaven. Well, I mean, she is still kind of a terrible person. I'm not going to lie. Like, she's still a pirate, you know? Okay, I think I've decided who I want to sleep with when I go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, great choice. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Great. <laughs> okay, actually, in the next few sentences. So. Shortly after their marriage, they raided a fishing village. Here they captured 15-year-old Chang Pao, the son of a fisherman, and adopted him. And I, I say that like a question, not because it was a question they actually did, but because I was like, that's not my first instinct if I were to kidnap someone. But anyway, well, actually, right. technically, it wasn't their first instinct because their adoption was more for legal reasons. Okay. But he was he was their third, essentially. So he was having a full-on affair with Chang Yi, the male husband captain. And he was actually the like basically their third. So like she would join in. And so Jess is silent screaming. I want everybody to know this. So Chang Yi and Ching Shi were some 19th century bisexual icons. Okay. Passing over the fact that this poor child was 15. Yes. Wow. Mm. This is a messy couple. Please keep going. <laughs> My next sentence says, yo-ho, yo-ho, am I right? Jail. <laughs> I also watched, like, three Pirates of the Caribbean movies yesterday, so, like, I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> I see that's why you're wearing a hat now. <laughs> I should have been a pirate. It's like there's a song that says I should have been a cowboy, but I should have been a fucking pirate. I feel like you would have made a great pirate. Thank you. If I was Other like. Other than the like dirtiness. Right. Oh my God. So icky. And the teeth couldn't do it. Anyway, so people feel less gross about the whole sleeping with their son thing. Again, like he is underage. That's icky, but that just didn't exist in the ni- 1800s, 1900s. 
1800s. The adoption stood more to ensure inheritance rights for Chang Pao rather than the fact that they actually like wanted desperately to be parents. You know, yeah. it was like, we want him to take over and this is the best way to do that. So within months of their wedding, the fleet grew from 200 ships to, guess, 2,000. Ooh, close. 1,800. Ugh. Damn it. To 1,800 ships, all thanks to Ching Shi's expertise. Like, again, she was the one recruiting and setting everything up, organizing, giving them fucking pride flags to fly. Also, this is, because I know it's still technically June. I was like, this is vaguely pride-themed. It was is vaguely like, pride-themed. The rainbow shipped and the, you know, the bisexual icons that captained such a fleet. Yes. Anyway. So all was well, except for it wasn't, because um, unfortunately in 1807, after six years of co-plundering, Ching Shi's 42-year-old captain husband died. The details are unclear, but it is theorized that he was killed in a storm while at sea, likely swept off the side of his ship and straight to Davy Jones' locker. Mm-mm-mm. Also, fun fact, uh, Ching Shi directly translates to widow of chang her real birth name is not known she is only known to history as the widow of chang or wife of chang wow that's deeply frustrating i know it is deeply frustrating but it's also the time and i mean it's it also seems that she was down for that name or else like she had the time to change it if she wanted to be known as something else so anyway according to chang e's wishes their adopted boyfriend son, Pao, was supposed to inherit the fleet, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, Ching Shi was like, absolutely not. And she won the support of her husband's most trusted advisors and offered to give her son complete control of the biggest, the, the Red Fleet. Okay. But only if she remained overlord of all of them. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And the crew knew that she was responsible for most of their success the last six years, so they actually agreed to it. And also, it's kind of interesting because in Chinese culture at this time, when a fisherman died, his wife took over the boat. So it wasn't, like, unheard of. This was just, like, a very big example of that, I guess. Interesting. And also, (laughs) of course, she continued sleeping with her son, Pao, and eventually married him to cement their alliance. Jesus Christ. Yeah, she got that booty arg, am I right? <laughs> Jail. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, I hate myself. Oh, also, they played Treasure by Bruno Mars at their wedding and everyone had a swashbuckling good time. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Yeah, that's good for, in the good for books. Bruno. Anyway, I don't think this is necessarily true, but I wanted to include it anyway. But amazing, a- my favorite. Truly. But a couple sources said that when her husband died, the pirates started to flee out of fear and just the fact that there was like, oh, the captain's gone or whatever. But Ching Shi apparently summoned them back to her and allegedly said, quote, under the leadership of a man, you have all chosen to flee. We shall see how you prove yourselves under the hand of a woman. (gasps) And hot. Yeah. Anyway, I don't, like, necessarily think that that's true, but I just had to include it anyway. Yeah. Because that's the general vibes, for sure. Yeah. All right. So now China had a new threat on their hands. 
an intelligent, organized, color-coded rainbow pirate army led by a 30-something-year-old woman with a lust for money and a hunger for power. Love this for her. Tell me that's not villain Jess. It is villain Jess. Thank you for noticing. Sam's the weird adopting son boyfriend thing. Like I said, there are some aspects that would not be involved, but it's mostly the organization, the color coding, the rainbow. Yes. That just gets me. Yeah. Anyway. And villain Jess would have a lust for money and a hunger for power. So I'm here for it. Ching Shi maintained control of her army through a strict set of unbreakable rules. And I'm going to tell you some of those rules. Please. One, she was the boss. If anyone defied her orders or the orders of her lieutenants, their heads would be cut off. Great. Good for them. Two, any... (laughs) Jess, oh, this is Jess. Any raid or business transactions were to be supervised by Ching Shi herself. The money looted by raids was to be split accordingly. The pirates themselves could keep 20% of their booty, but the other 80% had to be essentially reinvested back into the fleet. Repairs, you know, supplies, all that. Anyone caught stealing from those funds, well... A little would be taken off the top. And by a little, I mean their whole head would be taken off the top. Fair enough. Fair enough. Seems like a fair business practice to me. Three. This is iconic. Women were not to be harmed. (sighs) My bitch. This included women captured during raids, the women in the crew, prisoners, and the wives of fellow pirates. Any pirate caught raping a woman was to have his head chopped off. Which, honestly... I'm loving her penchant for chopping people's heads off. Oh, and if a pirate and a woman were to have consensual sex, well, then they would both have their heads chopped off. So, yes, tyranny, yes. She didn't care. But she didn't victim blame. So her fleet wasn't allowed to have sex. They were, but let me get to that. Okay. Okay. Women captured in raids were to be immediate release... to be immediately released if they were pregnant or ugly and the attractive ones and the attractive ones were sold into slavery or sex work look like i said she wasn't a great person (laughs) if they were ugly or pregnant oh my god (laughs) she was i mean listen if you were ugly and pregnant you had god's golden ticket to freedom double whammy Okay. Christ. (laughs) She's still profited off of the other ones. Anyway, she's still a fucking pirate. However, Jess is kind of answers your question. Pirates were allowed to marry. Okay. But only if it was like mutually consensual. They both wanted to do it. And if he was unfaithful to his wife, well, the body would be removed from the head. Okay. Again, a common theme. So basically, if you fired in the hole, she'd fire in your hole. You know what I'm saying? I gotcha. Okay, so you couldn't have sex out of wedlock. Is that what I'm understanding? Yes, but if you were R-worded by a pirate, she she didn't blame the woman for that. So she wasn't, okay. like, victim blaming. But yeah. if they were, like, two, like, a prisoner and a pirate having consensual sex, then, yeah, they can both fucking die, I guess. Jesus Christ. All right, this bitch. Four. Allied villagers were not to be harmed. Many coastal villages gave her fleet supplies in return for protection, and if her own crew were to steal from or hurt said villagers, Jess, I'd like you to guess what 
what happened if they did that? They were given a stern talking to and then asked to sleep on the worst bunk in the ship. If by the worst bunk you mean a sword to the neck, then correct. (laughs) (laughs) And five. Any lily-livered knave who deserted her fleet would have their ears cut off and they'd be paraded in front of their fellow crewmates and humiliated. That's the only one that is like, we're not going to chop your head off. You're going to fucking wish you were dead. Wow. And also, this cracked me up. The word plunder was banished. (laughs) Instead, they were supposed to say transferring shipment of goods because it it just sounded more professional. Yeah. Right, Jess? It makes sense to me. Okay, you have a color-coded ship thing, and she's probably got a great parchment system set up, so... Yeah, that's why people don't say you're getting fired. They say you're getting let go. It's a similar... It just sounds better, even though it's the same fucking thing. She knew how to use corporate speak to get to her own advantage. Good for her. She basically invented corporate speak. And Mm. also, on the flip side, loyalty and honesty were greatly rewarded, and the fleet was encouraged to work as a unit, so... Okay, cute. Love that for them. But with all of these pirates, like, these rules really kept everybody in line. I don't know how or why, but they did. Okay. Well, it sounds like they were making good money, so, you know. Oh, oh my, were they? And in addition to these rules, Ching Shi knew many of her crew were highly religious and would pray to their higher powers before going on an expedition. Mm -hmm. To inspire loyalty, she built a huge gorgeous temple on one of her ships okay interesting right right okay i would go to church i would go to church if it were on a pirate ship that's all i'm saying yeah that's fine. i would get married in a temple if it was on a pirate ship missionaries try harder okay at this temple her and the captains of the rainbow fleets i've also started calling it a rainbow fleet because that's what it is and also yeah it's june happy pride happy pride happy pride <laughs> Okay, so the captains of the Rainbow Fleets would meet and her and then they would, like, pray to the higher powers for guidance on, like, "Mm, should we raid and transfer a shipment of goods this village? And they were always, they always got the divine message to absolutely raid and plunder this village. And, which was so surprising. (laughs) God was never like, don't do that. God was always like, absolutely, please. Absolutely fucking do it. Go. For some reason. Who knows why? And... So now she was kind of portraying herself as having direct communication with God, which only made okay. her crew more loyal. That's just something that I noticed from that is Jesus like, she was superstar. Let's go. <laughs> she was knocking it out of the park in all the ways. Like, yeah. Okay. She was so effective at uniting her crew and growing her fleet that she quickly had control of the entire South China Sea and its coast. Okay. Good for her. We love a girl boss. Truly. The Rainbow Fleet was so feared that merchant ships paid them for safe passage across the sea. And this was also a huge area where there was a lot of salt trade. And salt was a super important at the time. Like, it, like, preserved meats and everything. And yeah. so they were just, like, fucking up these salt merchants. And so these salt merchants were basically like, we're going to pay you so that we can do our fucking job. Yeah. Anyway. In fact... Any ship that wanted to cross the South China Sea had to pay a tax. And if they didn't pay, their ship was raided and the crew was captured. Reasonable. And one of the most frequently plundered ships were British and French colonizers. Which, honestly? Love her for that. Pop off, sis. 
I'm into it. MLM queen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, talk about a pyramid scheme. Absolutely. (laughs) So, Ching Shi was called, quote, the terror of South China. (laughs) I mean, fair enough. If the shoe fits. If the fucking pirate boot fits. If the if the boat sails, why not? But one source did say that she would punish prisoners who resisted her by nailing their feet to her ship's deck and beating them. Um. So, like, again, she is, like, I want to reinforce the notion that she is not a good person. <laughs> like, she, yes, a badass girl boss for sure, but she's still a fucking pirate. Like, you can't just not pirate, you know? But did they deserve it? <laughs> I mean, oh, I joke. I joke. It's 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 hard to say. I, I kind of wish I could be there, but not as a merchant, but as a pirate. Anyway, so, I, you know, I, 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 I bet there's both two sides to the story. Yeah. So, Jess, how much would you like to be known as the terror of South China Sea? I mean, I'm known as the terror of the East Bench of Salt Lake City. So, you know, <laughs> I just feel like an upgrade. Yeah. A catcher in all your local newspapers. Like I said before, again, not a great person, but an iconic businesswoman. Yes. So she quite literally sold fishermen official documents exempting them from pirate attacks. Great. Like, did they just, like, frame that and hang it up like a diploma for everybody to see? It's it's like a food handler's permit they have to hang up <laughs> on the back of the bar. Like, it's like one of those, this is a bar, not a restaurant, sign oh curtain my signs. Oh, <laughs> So please see see host for seating. <laughs> please see host for proof of no pirate attack. Thank you. Oh, that's funny. And just like a big ass wooden frame above their like tiny fisherman desk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. So Qingxi even created a sophisticated intelligence network of spies and informers who who were paid to divulge the location of enemy ships and profitable targets. Where is the book series on this woman? Honest to God, I wish they had one. They did, Books have been written, but not enough. Someone has done a PhD dissertation on this person, and I love that for them. I would read that PhD dissertation. And there, I cannot say that about any other PhD dissertation. <laughs> she won the support of secret societies, bandit gangs, and even some corrupt officials. Great. Good for her. So her influence thus started to spread beyond just the sea and its coast. Like, it was going inland. Like, she was starting to be like, fuck China as a whole, not just the coast. Incredible. Anyway, the emperor was shitting himself, and we'll get to that in a minute. So during attacks, Qingxi arranged the largest of her fleets into strategic formations, which have been compared to floating fortresses. Okay. Checks out. Mm-hmm. As said before, she commanded the largest pirate fleet on Earth, which was still growing in size. Okay, now this is where you're going to... Okay. I would like you to guess how many pirates were in her fleet when it was at its largest. And for comparison... The famed pirate Blackbeard commanded four ships and 300 pirates within the same century. And we've all heard of Blackbeard. 38,000. Pirates? Yeah. She commanded 1,800 pirate ships and an estimated 80,000 pirates. 
80000. That's almost double the population of Logan, Utah when I was in college. Literally. That's like double, triple, quadruple the population of any other pirate fleet ever to exist. <laughs> I want to know her filing system so badly. Well, I can definitely tell you that it's color-coded, so. How is she keeping track of who all these people are having sex with? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it was a little difficult. They definitely found ways, but the rules were there. And mm-hmm. I know that every one of the captains and lieutenants on all the different colored fleets were fiercely loyal. Incredible. Anyway, I've been watching Pirates of the Caribbean, so I feel like I'm a real expert on um, mechanics of how a crew works. So Yes. I've even I even watched four, like Pirates of the Caribbean four, where they go get like the fucking water of life. And I was like, this is it's like the worst movie of all time. And I I still watched it last night. Okay. Do you know that Penelope Cruz was pregnant through that whole movie? I did, and I that was the first time watching it that I like knew that. And so I like rewatched it and was like looking for it. And I kind could kind of see it sometimes. It was really interesting how they hit Mm -hmm. it. Anyway. Mm at the end i feel kind of bad like as soon as like the main credit hits it's like has like the a swell of pirates of the caribbean music and it's like dun, 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 and then mm-hmm. the director's name pops up and i was like is he proud of this <laughs> like his name popped up like he was so proud of this movie he just made anyway he probably made a lot of money so he doesn't give a shit oh he did he sure did okay so, 1,800 pirate ships and an estimated yeah. 80,000 pirates. So, an East India Company employee named Richard Glasspool was captured and held by the fleet for four months in 1809. And most of what we know is actually from him because he did get out alive. He is He's the one that estimated that there were 80,000 pirates under Ching Shi's command. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes without saying that China's emperor was less than pleased about yeah. this literal army of pirates being led by a woman it's like its own society like they are their own country they're floating in international waters they have no laws when they're drinking claws <laughs> all they drink was seltzer because it was a woman that was the captain <laughs> and she's like beer my fucking ass I absolutely hate no fucking need none of it Honestly, if I were a captain, I would outlaw mead and rum unless it was in a mixer, and I would just have, like, vizzies and white claws abound. Incredible. So everybody would just be white girl wasted. All the pirates would be. Okay, so. They need some vitamin C from the vizzy. No scurvy. No scurvy here, folks. (laughs) No scurvy when you're drinking vizzy. (laughs) Okay, that could be another merch option, I'm just saying. Thank you. They should make that their brand label. Okay. I'll email them. Okay. For sure. So he was pissed. The the emperor was. And so he sent out a group of Navy ships to destroy her fleet. Okay. Well. Good luck, buddy. Within hours, the Red Fleet had obliterated the emperor's Navy. No one's surprised. And to rub even more wound in the salt, Ching Shi told the captured Navy that they wouldn't be punished if they joined her. Hot. So as a result, the Red Fleet grew in size and the Emperor lost most of his navy. Hot. 63 ships to be exact. Incredible. Did the Emperor ever think like, hey, maybe I'll just hire her as my navy? Again, we'll get there. Do you like how I'm just thinking like her? (laughs) Jess, when I 
say that she's even a villain era minus like incest and some other choice decisions she's about to make. She's you. Like again, who knows how Villa Aaron Jess would act, but I this is this is pretty I don't know that I ever want to meet her. I kinda do, I'm not gonna lie. If you still existed and she existed in another existence, mm-hmm. if I could jump to that existence and just like witness this, I feel like it would look like this. So anyway. And I thought this next part was very, very interesting. So Qingxi herself likely did not participate in the fighting. However, several pirate wives did. Because, again, she kind of brought this air of equality to the fleet itself. And so women were allowed to have more of a voice and more rights because Mm -hmm. she was a literal captain. So it obviously showed that women could do anything on a ship. Yeah. And so a lot of them would join their husbands in battle. So during this fight with the emperor's navy, there was one woman, I could not find her name, but she took out numerous navy soldiers with a cutlass in each hand. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. So for those that don't know, a cutlass is a sword. But yeah, like each... If you read fairy (sighs) fantasy books like I did, you'd know that. (laughs) All right. Okay, so... (laughs) Um, in fact, the remainder of the Emperor's Navy feared Qingxi so much that they sabotaged their own ships to avoid having to confront the Rainbow Fleet ever again. Wow. Smart boys. Mm-hmm. And one thing that made Qingxi so successful was her strategy. So, Jess, you're a pirate queen. Yes, obviously. What, how would you... I know you don't know much about sailing. But what would you, how would, what would your strategy be for like an ambush, say? Well, surrounding is your best bet, right? So I think that moving as an organism and, and doing like some absorbing, you know, mm-hmm. like you get like five ships to three ships and you get your five ships to circle the three ships and then you're just like, <laughs> Okay. Similar to a submarine imploding underground or underwater. Ooh, callback. Callback. You know? Yes. Probably would be one of my one of my things or, you know, I'm sure you're going to tell me what she did. Again, I don't know much about sailing, but that feels the smartest to me. So maybe and- some use of some good fog machines. <laughs> Can you imagine the amount of fog machines it would take to, like, absorb the entire South China Sea? <laughs> I believe in her and her girl boss ability to do this. So Jess, you're basically, you're pretty much right. Like that was kind of how she did it. So they would kind of hide and then ambush ships, like whatever ship they're targeting. But like, I don't know how you hide on the open ocean, but from what I understood, I'm pretty sure they would stay in the headwinds and just like a couple ships would go up to them and then the rest would zoom down and just surround them incredible and like absorb their prey as you said yeah and when closer to land they would hide around corners like corners of an island out of sight Mm -hmm. basically yeah and like you know behind mountains and near the shores so they weren't seen so they would just fucking zoom around corners and be like what the fuck is up i'm going to kill you and nail your feet to the you know deck of my ship seems very practical to me i don't know i mean like again businesswoman and oh yeah and so once they ambush these ships out of nowhere the pirates from those ships would then jump onto the deck of the enemy ship and just like wreak havoc to their hearts you know 
Unless, of course, they had an official document saying that they were exempt from pirate attacks, then they would be like, ma'am. And then they'd get on their ship and like, be like, hey, we paid our fine. Thank you. Exactly. In 1808, Qingxi set her eyes on the Pearl River Delta. Okay. So I, I, that meant nothing to me. So I figured it wouldn't mean much to you. So I kind of, I'm going to send you a couple photos. One is, uh, there are no actual photos of her, but there's a drawing of her. There is one quote unquote photo of her that is actually a photo of an indigenous woman that is not her. So that's (laughs) circulating just so everybody's aware. Here's the illustration of her. Let me find the. Ooh, fun. Right? Okay, so let me... I'm going to send this to you. This will help you kind of visualize what the South China Sea actually kind of looked like in the delta we're talking about. I kind of forget how many rivers are in China. So many. It's a waterous region, if you will. Mm -hmm. So as you can see from this photo, which again we will post on our Instagram, this delta is huge. So it's this massive river that flows into the South China Sea. And the river itself is big enough that ships from the ocean can just sail up the river. Which, by the way, extends about 1,500 miles inland. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they could just wreak havoc inland but remain on their ships. Like, it was, like, the perfect, perfect thing. And so she was, like, China's so big. Yeah, cha-ching. Good for her. Get your 80%, bitch. It's also, like, I can't remember what it was called, but it's, like, one of the most fertile regions on Earth. Like, Hong Kong Mm -hmm. is right there and, like, all the biggest providence. Anyway, so Qingxi obviously annihilated the ships protecting this delta. And for a full year, she just ransacked villages up and down that river. Now, like I said, she wasn't a good person. I'll say that. A million times. She truly wasn't. Her fleets killed a lot of innocent people during this time. Okay, yeah. The Black Fleet alone killed an estimate 10,000 people in a single raid. Jeez Louise. Okay, again, that was from one source. A lot of the sources had different things, but I compiled ones that I I thought seemed the most. Anyway, Mm -hmm. they killed a lot of people. Yeah. So, Ching Shi, progressive as ever, didn't discriminate when it came to plundering. Okay. Any ship stupid enough to sail through the South China Sea without paying her first was hers, regardless of where that ship was from. Okay. Powers like the United States, Siam, Portugal, and the East India Trading Company experienced heavy losses at her hands. And in retaliation... Each launched separate attacks against the pirate army, but to no avail. The fleet of many colors had now become the most feared pirate gang in the world and was known internationally. Absolutely. How could they not be? Finally. That's what we call branding. That's what we call marketing, right, Jess? Yeah. Corporate pride. Let's go. (laughs) This was the first example of corporate pride. The rainbow fleet. Okay. (laughs) Amazing. And her own brand of seltzer. Yes. Okay. So finally, in 1909, the Emperor of China decided to put an end to her wrath once and for all. Okay. He had been repeatedly humiliated by a lady pirate, one sex worker, for long enough. I'm just assuming that was his exact thought process on that. Yeah. He put his pride aside. Pride, I did put that word in there on purpose. And asked for the help of these foreign allies that I had just mentioned, Mm -hmm. or these foreign Mm -hmm. fleets. Yeah. 
Separately, they were no match for Ching Shi, but together, they may just stand a chance. The Chinese Navy and several merchant forces rallied and launched an attack on the Rainbow Fleet. So Ching Shi and her gang were currently in the Pearl River Delta, just truly living their best lives at the expense of several thousand lives. But the enemy knew this would be a great time to attack. Yes. Her forces were spread out, and if the government army was able to take control of the mouth of the river, they could essentially just box them in. And so Ching Shi noticed that this was happening and sent for backup as her red fleet started to, like, fight off these naval forces trapping them. But the wind was blowing against them, and at the time, as you would know if you watched the Pirates of the Caribbean movies just like I did, the wind really matters. It does. This is true. It's like they're gasoline, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But she still managed to hold her ground for two days. Now that the gang was all lumped together, because, like, the reinforcements had arrived, basically, the government sent in suicide boats, basically, a.k.a. these boats loaded with straw and explosives that they set on fire and just launched at the pirates. Okay. But? Okay, so Jess, what would you do? Okay, question for you, logistically speaking. So my red fleet is up a riverbank, but the other fleets of mine are on the other side of these, of this barricade? Or are we no, all No, you the were river? all down the riverbank, but some of you were just farther down the riverbank, but now most of you have, like, Okay, come well together. then that's on fucking me for being stupid and having my 1800 ships all in the same place. So I would wave my white flag and say, I finally fucked up, dudes. Take me in. Okay, so this is where you two differ, because what she did was she saw these, like, suicide boats full of explosive and fire coming towards them, and so they put out the fire, extinguished the flames, repaired the ships, and incorporated them into her fleet. Okay, good for her. Love that for her. I would be too tired by that point, but good for her. Mm -hmm. She is coming to that point, and again, we will get there. And then, at this point, the winds changed in their favor. So, they were able to break through the naval line and take out enemy ships as they went, escaping the Delta and going back into the open ocean. This blows my mind. In the end, only 40 pirates died and not a single ship was lost. But they gained, like, 40 probably. Yeah, from the little suicide Mm -hmm. bomb. Suicide boats, yes. The government leader of this failed expedition allegedly falsified the reports to make himself look better and then later took his own life out of shame. Jeez Louise. Yeah. It was now 1810, and Shi had been ruling the seas for nine years, three of those years, as the supreme overlord without her husband. So yeah. in just three years ruling alone, she's done all this. Yeah. Now, I find this next bit to be a tiny bit funny, and I'm not going to say she did this because she was a woman, but I cannot picture any male pirate lord doing this. I just, it simply seems impossible. So upon seeing that her enemies collaborated to launch such an attack on her fleet and they were probably going to launch more, she did what Jess kind of thought of, which was like, you know, this has been a good run. I am filthy rich. My crew is happy and healthy. Life is good. I am on top right now. Instead of partaking in more battles, which will surely kill many of them, I'm just going to negotiate with the Empire instead. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Let's let's all work together and I'll make more money. Absolutely. 
And on February 21st, which is that the same day date that, that was the same your- day that Teresita died. February 21st. I noticed that I was like, again, February is cursed, but also look at our stories. Just 177 days or 167 years later. 1810? Yeah. Because Teresita died on in 77. I will let you do that math. I nicely done. All right. On February 21st, 1810, she met with the governor general of the empire, as well as an official from the Portuguese colony. Her conditions, she brought it to them, were as follows. She would dismantle her fleet and surrender most of her ships and weapons if, in exchange, her, herself and her crew of literally 80,000 pirates were to be completely pardoned of all of their, like, insanely numerous crimes. Seems reasonable on her end. Mm-hmm. Two, her entire fleet was also to be compensated for their transition to shore and offered jobs. So, pay me to stop doing this, basically. Three, they also got to keep all of their stolen loot, and her and her husband's son were to keep a small fleet of 80 ships and 5,000 sailors. Okay, reasonable, reasonable. The government, the governor general didn't think so, because he said something like, I'm gonna stop you right there, sister. You absolutely cannot keep any ships and crew. Are you crazy? Like, this is literally why we don't like you, because you have a ship and crew. Anyway. And Qingxi was like, great, well, you can go fuck yourself. And so she hops back on her ship and continues plundering every single thing that she could get her hands on. Yeah, fair enough. And then she was like... Ugh. You know, I actually am sleepy, so I am going to try again. And But this time, she walks into the gov- governor general's home, escorted only by the wives and children of her fleet. Okay. Interesting Damn. choice, right? Yeah. Girl power. Again, she's a terrible Let's person, go, but girl power. Okay. And anyway, so she restated her conditions, and everything was the same, except this time, she said, because you... <laughs> Okay, I love this. Okay, she was like, because you didn't agree to me keeping 80 ships, I am now demanding to keep 120, and you better take this offer, because you're not going to get another one. And he yielded. He was like- Of course, because what else was he going to do? All right, fine, whatever. So we actually ended up giving up more, and uh, anyway- Changxi's entire crew was pardoned of their numerous crimes and given money to come ashore. In fact, several pirates were offered jobs in the Chinese military, and Pao, her husband's son, literally became the captain of the Navy. I mean, that's smart. They know what they're doing. Like, mm-hmm. like I said, kind of like, well, did he come to her? Like, her husband's son became captain of the Navy. Yeah. Okay. So to wrap this up, 35-year-old Ching, she was only 35 at this point. She relaxed into an early retirement, as you could say. Good for her. I'm assuming with, like, 400 golden bracelets and, like, seven crowns just resting on her head that she sat on a throne, probably. She soon had two children and opened a gambling house and brothel. (laughs) That that was her business. She was like, this is what I want to open. Could be a restaurant. Could be a museum. She was bored in retirement. She needed something to do. Gambling house and brothel. What's more entertaining? Like I said, we love a businesswoman. In 1822, her husband's son, Pao, died at sea during a storm, which, like his adoptive father-lover, Captain, 
is exactly kind of what happened. So it's interesting that they died in very similar ways. It's like very. they're soulmates. So it is rumored gay. that <laughs> gay happy pride. <laughs> so talk about talk about a real uh, trophy husband. Am I right or am I right? Absolutely, <laughs> you are correct. And so this is what's kind of goes back to what you're saying. It is rumored that in 1839, Qingxi was consulted by the empire as to military strategy for a naval war that they were losing with Britain. Jeez Louise. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. And finally, in 1844, Qingxi passed away peacefully in her sleep at the age of 69. I feel like that's like a long time for somebody in that era. It was, and probably the longest a pirate has ever lived. That's crazy. Good for her. Wild mm-hmm. to me that she existed at the same time as Joseph Smith, but anyway, continue. Oh my god. It's it's really weird when you start drawing lines like that. Yeah. Okay, anyway. Today she is considered to be the most feared and successful pirate in the history of the world. And yeah. yet nobody's heard of her, but we've all heard of fucking Blackbeard and his like little yeah. preschool of pirates. Yeah. She has inspired numerous characters, including Mistress Chang, one of the nine pirate lords in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, which is why I started watching like three movies. Yeah. Fair. Mm-hmm. So Qingxi represents the notion that women can be anything men can be, including a terrible, murderous, swashbuckling, power-hungry supreme ruler of the sea. Yeah, absolutely. Good for her. And that, Jess, is the story of Ching Shi, the Pirate Queen, a.k.a. you and your villain era. Thank you. Thank you for telling me that, Allison. That was fascinating. And I feel like I just am ready to go write a fictionalized book for her. Incorporate it into the book that you're writing, if you can, somehow. I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Anyway, sorry. that It was actually quite a, a reasonably length story that I still managed to make, like, an hour long. So I'm sorry for that. But No, I'm here for it. I did a short and sweet one because I have been living at the bottom of a barrel this week. So it's I'm glad that you had one that was could fill in my, my short and sweet one. So fascinating Allison thank you for telling me that what a way to end our season and oh my god yeah incredible three cheers to the tyrannical pirate queen that I don't know I think I'm gonna take back who I want to sleep with in hell in hell I I don't I don't love the amount of murder that she did and the like sleeping with her adopted son thing but to be fair I don't think she really murdered anybody directly she ordered other people to do it but still I know what you're saying yeah. I know. And I mean, to be fair, she might have been pissed because I'm sure a lot of the people killed were women. So, yeah. And also, I did read the the Black Fleet that killed 10,000 people. I read somewhere that around the time that she was like, I'm going to stop being a pirate, they started to have, like, an issue. Like, they were starting to go off and do their own thing. Yeah. And so there's okay. a chance that she was okay. like, fuck off with that bullshit. Yeah. I don't know. You can ask her when you see her. Okay, I'll I'll let you guys know what she says. Go on like a couple dates first. Shoot some yeah. pool. Swashbuckle, whatever, and share a white claw or two that she invented. <laughs> Talk to her about her experience in an open relationship, doing, you know, polyamory, ask if she liked it. I'll let her I'll let, I'll let you all know. I'll report back. Well, Jess, this was a great ending to an incredible season. I can't wait to see you in a couple months the next season. I mean, I I will be seeing you before then several times. 
Hopefully. The listeners won't, but keep an eye on our Instagram. We will hopefully be dropping some merch soon. We will give Mm -hmm. you little updates about us throughout the next couple months, and we will be teasing next season. Yes, absolutely. We'll see you in the in the new school year, as it were. We'll see you in the fall. So enjoy the rest of your summer, guys. Stay safe. Okay, bye. Bye.